It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another big edition of reliving the war my name is nims Azor, joined as always by my co-host simon tackler we are reliving the monday night wars and what better time to do it as well as we fast approach the end of 1997 as we approach the end of 2021 too and simon we're on track again we've just got the december pay-per-views to look after next month but um World War Three was WCW's offering this time around. You got to say that the WWF had their nose just in front for the last run of pay per views. Yeah, and I'm gonna say that they still do. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Thanks for coming, everyone. It's <laughs> but as we always do with these WCW pay per views, we like to get in our third man, a guy that uh, didn't exactly relive the war because he was barely walking at this point in time back in the day. Our great mate. Digital Beard, a.k.a. Owen Jones, to give him his civilian name. Owen, welcome back to the pod. Thank you very much for having me, my friends. It's always fun jumping on with these WCW shows, although I may rethink my decision after tonight. <laughs> yeah, you are the third man, and you are the third ring for World War Three as well. Yeah, here's the thing, right? That's straight off the bat. The, ta- the official tagline for this pay-per-view was 60 warriors, three rings, one survivor. You do the math. There's not much math that needs to be done. There isn't. There really isn't. If anything, the, they put it, they the put it straight on the chin. The math is literally there already. Yeah. <laughs> if, and if that's, that's basically what it says about WCW's fan base. It's like, look, let's not make it too hard for them. Let's just put it straight out there. But um, let, let's get straight into this match because, uh, like, first things first, uh, full disclosure, World War Three, 1997 is one of my favorite WCW pay-per-views for the ending. And because people, anyone that's listened to this uh, podcast really knows that I'm a massive Scott Hall fan. I'm a massive Razor Ramon fan. Royal Rumble 1993, still one of my favorite pay-per-views. Not because Yokozuna won, but because Razor Ramon had his first and only WWF title shot on pay-per-view. So let's get straight into this pay-per-view. The winner of World War III gets a shot at the WCW Heavyweight Championship at Super Brawl. So at the February pay-per-view. So already it's a little bit muddled and a little bit weird because you'd think, hey, you got your biggest flagship pay-per-view coming up next. No, no, no. Do, we'll wait a couple of months till afterwards. Do they skip a January pay-per-view? They never do a January pay-per-view. Oh, oh they have January one. Pa- they just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, January is sold out. January pay-per-view is sold out. But uh, I guess, you know, they're just kind of like, eh, let's we'll make it February. It's too hard. <laughs> we haven't thought that far ahead. But uh, we start off with a very, very cheesy intro. It's very post-apocalyptic. We've said a lot about wcw intros as we go but i'll start with you on because this one is a very different because there is no wrestling highlights it just shows devastation and basically a, a post-apocalyptic world 
Now, here's the thing. My first note to do with this intro is this genuinely looks like the start of a Power Rangers in space episode, which was the 1998 series of Power Rangers, which is my personal favorite series of Power Rangers. But like, it actually, like, it full on reminds me of a genuine scene in Power Rangers. So I think Power Rangers in space actually copied WCW, seeing as it was released after this pay-per-view but it was a really this this video made no sense it was completely worthless to the actual storyline of the entire show yeah it really was and look we've we've mentioned ad ad nauseum and it's probably becoming a recurring meme now so i mean how much wcw um well they dropped the ball when it comes to these but what do you think about them going for just a sort of i don't know a character driven sort of uh because you can't really call it a, a wrestling view. It could be the start of, you know, a TNT drama. Yeah. I mean, WCW had played with this in the mid-90s, you know, where they, they made those mini movies with like Sting and Vader and the British Bulldog and all the Dungeon of Doom stuff. But it was still tied to wrestling. This was just straight up, like Owen said, here's a scene from Power Rangers. <laughs> and, you know, the voiceover was like, oh, it's World War Three or whatever. Yeah, this was not good. And we can't keep comparing it to the WWE. If we're going month to month comparing this to the Survivor Series package for Brett and Sean, it's not even, they're not even like doing the same thing anymore. They're not playing the same game. Yeah. Unless Survivor Series had, I don't know, David Tox coming in there and uh, putting, sending out a bunch of henchmen towards uh, Sean Michaels. We're really yeah, in two couple completely of, different universes here. Throw in a couple of piranatrons and I'm there. I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll get straight to the pay-per-view uh, We should note too that um, there is no Dusty Rhodes here Simon, you're normally good with the little uh, delve back behind the curtain Do we have uh, a shoot reason why he wasn't there? Not sure for this one He could have been going to watch Cody Rhodes wrestle or something You know, you always hear those stories um, Not sure, but the less tenay, the better Is what <laughs> I've learned from this pay-per-view do, do you reckon when Dusty went to watch Cody do his uh, Greco-Roman wrestling that Cody got like these big, like full-on um, pyro more than everybody else on the show? <laughs> I hope so. And he came <laughs> out from the ground, not from the his school's entrance. It's just his coaches like lowering <laughs> yeah. it, like, like, high, like just lifting above their shoulders. And for some reason, Arn Anderson was there too. <laughs> uh- <laughs> That's why he quit the four horsemen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's get to our first match here. We've got Glacier and the Cat versus the Faces of Fear. Now, Glacier and the Cat, this we forget about the rise of Glacier. He's he sort of lost his aura a little bit because remember at first Simon, he he wasn't pinned. He was undefeated. He was this and that. Well, now he's very much, you know, second fiddle to the cat who surprisingly uh holds his own. And I was shocked at how much I like I, as I said, top to bottom, I love this pay per view as a kid back in 97, 98. This was one of my jams. This is the one that I kept watching over and over and over. So I could watch this in my sleep. But I'm surprised that even as a slightly jaded adult, I actually really got into this and I was surprised at how good this was. Yeah, I'll be honest. When I saw Glacier and the cat come out, I thought, okay, I wonder who they're wrestling. Is it going to be, you know, Mortis and Wrath again? Because that wasn't too bad for what it was. Then when I saw Faces of Fear, I thought, oh, this is perfect. You know, it's going to be a just a fight, a martial arts fight. And, you know, their styles would complement each other. I think they did. I was shocked, too, at how good this match was. Um, yeah, Glacier, they're definitely toning down, though. He doesn't mm-hmm. have the ice for his entrance anymore. It's not as fancy. He has to share the spotlight with the cat. 
Um, but yeah, I think they kind of made a fun team. And this was a good match. There was nothing wrong with it. Oh, and you've seen a variety of uh, Glacier. And this is he's presented completely different this time around. How do you think? What do you think of this new sort of uh, presentation of him, especially up against some veterans like the Faces of Fear? It feels like they've kind of given up on him. Um, I mean, that was the vibe I got. As Simon said, like they kind of, you know, they thrust him out with, with um, Ernest Miller instead of, yeah, like a couple of shows ago. It was, oh, look, it's all about Glacier. Like he hasn't, he's lost. He's, you know, he's like the future of the company. And now I just feel like he's just kind of been cast aside. But I actually don't mind him either. Um, but, you know, this match was actually, I actually quite enjoyed this match. You know, just a bit of old school kind of heavyweight tag team wrestling. Um, and Barbarian just dropping people on their heads. It's great. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it is funny too, because like you, you forget that I think the faces of fear have a bit of a tarnished legacy because they were part of the dungeon of doom that you actually forget that these two were pretty decent big man wrestlers. Mm. They were awesome. I got to say, if I told you the match, not the match of the night, but the move of the night was in this match, I think people wouldn't believe me, but I'm sorry. The cat steals the show. I think it's Barbarian in the corner and Meng's on the outside, like outside of the ring. I'm going to try and explain it. So if Barbarian's in the corner, Cat runs up to him, kind of how you would do a stinger splash, but instead he runs up his chest and then dives to the outside of the ring onto Meng. <laughs> that was yeah. amazing. I've literally never seen that before. So cool. One of my notes is this is a big coming out party for the cat. I mean, yep. it is a great showing by Ernest Miller and a huge pop when he takes out Jimmy Hart towards the end as well. Yeah, I was going to say um, that like Jimmy Hart sells that punch like an absolute king. Like he absolutely <laughs> sold it like he was selling lemonade as a kid. Like he, it was just an awesome little sale that he did. Um, I must say though, and Heads up to all the listeners and to you too. I, I, it was Owen listens to commentary on this one because I did watch a lot of this. I did watch a lot of this um, show on my on the train to and from work today, so <laughs> a lot of it's commentary based. Um, Mike Tanay at once at one stage says that the faces of fear are from the Isle of Tonga, when it's actually called the Kingdom of Tonga. Hmm. Oh, nice correction there. And, and like the Isle, as in like the Isle of Man, as in I-S-L-E, not Island. Like, I was just like, what are you even doing? <laughs> Maybe he thinks it's like a supermarket, you know, like Tongan's Isle 2 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, we got we to gotta mention Meng. Meng is just an absolute man beast here. And that Tongan <laughs> death grip is one of the greatest finishing maneuvers of all time in WCW. So simple too. He basically just grabs their neck and it's super over. It's so good. Also, Powers of Pain, have uh, sorry, Faces of Fear, have one of the best <laughs> tag team moves. The back body drop into the powerbomb. How to not, why does nobody use that now? It's so cool. Because I feel like people try and do, be too complicated with their tag moves. But with stuff like that, it's so simple. Yeah. You, you're really shocked that, it, look, if anyone's going to probably steal that sort of playbook, it'd be FTR. But everyone said, like, the statute of limitations of stealing tag team moves, you know, you can do that now. I mean, steal the 3D if you have to. I mean, Come tag on, team the, wrestling is a bit of a lost art, isn't it? Well, the Dudley stole the Doomsday device. So it's only fair that, you know, you keep, keep that rolling, just steal moves. 
Yeah, Although him, I must say, him. Nims, FT, FTR won't steal that move because it's from the 90s and not NWA in the 80s. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's move on to our next little segment because we've got DDP in the online bit with uh, Mark Madden. It's your stock standard thing, but the bit that, and, and oh, and I'm going to highlight some commentary here. How much did you pop? When Tony Schiavone is like trying to explain how the internet worked, but most households they have a computer these days. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, see, I I remember our first computer. I mean, um, I actually think I'm just trying to think. I think we got. I, I remember getting our first computer, so it would have been like you know, like ninety eight ish, like ninety nine. But like we didn't get the internet until probably like two thousand and three. I think. Yeah, I think my sister had like just started um, high school, so it would have been like two thousand and two or three. Mm. So like, I re- see, I don't see, I never had to go through all of this, and like we used our computer to play like, you know, a Buick ninety four golf game <laughs> on a floppy disk. Like in my, it's like vivid in my memory. So I don't remember any of this kind of stuff. It was, what was it? The real audio, the real audio interview. <laughs> Yeah, I you felt can listen technology to it. shamed here, though, because when he was like, oh, every household has a computer. Yeah, like you were saying, Owen, for us, we didn't get a computer till like 2001. So when he said yeah. that, I was like, oh, no, the shame. Mm. <laughs> well, it, like, yeah, it was it was pretty funny because because he, he does sort of go well. I guess most household like because he was he was trying to sort of convince himself. I felt like <laughs> yeah, yeah. like 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 he's wondering like why are you wasting time with this internet thing? I mean, come on, guys! This new technology the kids have. I must <laughs> say though, I I I'm really starting to miss our little nerdy like uh, teenage intern guy. It's been <laughs> three shows now. I think he's gone forever. <laughs> He's moved his way up into CNN digital or or going by going by if we go by the Turner Broadcasting Convention. So if that was WCWWrestling.com, it'd be like CNNnews.com. So you don't confuse it with the other CNNs or the other WCWs. Uh, we, Turns we out he's on. actually booking the entire show. <laughs> we move on to our next match, which is Disco Inferno versus Saturn. Perry Saturn has the television title. Um, now... Saturn is in this weird sort of would you say something that he's still trying to shake off the eliminators sort of look because he does look like he's just transported out of the bingo hall yeah well <laughs> he's got jeans on instead of tights that's basically the only difference so far but yeah as time would go on I think he would look more and more comfortable in the flock or the nest I feel like they couldn't commit to what to call Raven's group on this show they flip-flopped a lot um, but it was cool to see Saturn finally on a show because he's another guy that adds a lot to their mid-card moving forward. Um, his music, though, I hope I never hear it again. Obviously, we're going to. But it's just sirens. God, it's annoying. Yeah. Mm. And not like not, not the fun Scott Steiner sirens. This is just like air raid, you know, quick everyone, put away your powdered egg and hurry up into the bomb shelter <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, sirens. Well... It, well, I mean, it's funny you say that because they actually do mention like a thousand and twenty six times that um that Saturn did a hundred and seven parachute jumps in the Army Rangers. So that's probably why he had the sirens yeah. as his entrance music. But I must say, traditionally in wrestling, you lose your first name. You never gain one mm. because I remember him as Perry Saturn, not just Saturn. So he's flipped the script here, Mr. Perry Satin. Yeah, he's uh, he, he sort of flip flops a little bit too because it's kind of like, ah, look, 
we think you, we think you're pretty cool here. Let's give you a name. Um, yeah. I this was something that really stood out in this match that really blew me away was I forgot that Disco, when when necessary, can wrestle because he was pulling oh, out some yeah. moves here. He wasn't just you know a sack of meat in the ring. No, this was good. Disco was good. I, I got to say, this match it finally hit me what I've liked about watching these shows back. So this match was one of my favorites because it was a style of wrestling we don't really see anymore. It was too straight up like what you would consider professional wrestlers, just American style wrestling. Whereas when mm-hmm. we watch some of the um, cruiserweight matches, they're doing stuff that we've seen come so far and like being taken to the next level. Whereas mm-hmm. no one yeah. really does what these guys were doing. So to me, it was a novelty to see just like a headlock takeover. Now we're going to run the ropes and do some old school spots. Like it was really good. Yeah. And they and, have and some taunts and characters. stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They do taunts and you know who's who and there's a story. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah I, I, I couldn't fault it. What about you, on? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Um, I must say, um, first off that disco's music is such a bop oh i've mm, noticed it yeah. i've noticed it like every night every nitro i've been watching <laughs> every pay-per-view i've been watching since i joined the show on wcw shows disco inferno's music is such a bop and i'm all about it um also i think i'm very as you can tell by my little rant just then i am very much becoming a disco inferno fan which i mean no one's probably said in the past 15 <laughs> to 16 years so <laughs> His stuff has aged well. Like his character's That's good, the, the entrance is good, the matches are good. It's all good. His wrestling is his wrestling is weirdly timeless because, yeah. as you said, he just wrestles that straight American professional wrestling style of this is my character. I am in this case, I am the good guy. Mm. You're gonna cheer for me, and I'm gonna do some stuff that's gonna make you cheer me, yeah. and it's gonna put the bad guy over. Like perfect, perfect honestly, genuinely perfect. Like basic pro wrestling. Yeah, and, and also can, and on, pro wrestling. on his music, I had this as a note, is his music underrated and do like wrestling music fans consider it a good one? Nims, you're the expert on that. I love his music, but you don't hear anyone it. talk about it. You never hear anyone talk about it outside of me and probably Mikey J, um, <laughs> a good friend of the show. But, um, but I think it's because the only reason you don't hear that, Simon, is because... We have we've gone about twenty years since WCW was here, so people probably like people don't even know probably the Buff Buff Bagwell song, which is also an absolute banger too. And <laughs> yeah. oh, and when we get towards the later WCW, like once the post NWO split, you will find out there are some absolute bangers of WCW themes too. <laughs> and um, even to the point where when Shane Douglas comes in and starts the revolution, he still uses uh, Deep Purple as well. So like, you get perfect strangers. That being said, though, you do get some absolute oh horrors when it comes to WCW <laughs> themes. For example, when Mike Awesome comes in as the fat chick thriller or Ooh, that 70s my- guy, Mike Awesome, not good. Yeah. Um, we'll get to our next little segment here. Should point out to Saturn gets the win via the rings of Saturn. Which How I good think- is the rings of Saturn? It is straight up one of the top three greatest submission moves of all time. Greatest name, too. Oh, it's so Perfect. good. Well, we see Pac use it now as the brutalizer, I think he calls it. It's a great move. Yeah. Glad but someone it's brought ring, it back. It's Rings of Saturn because he wraps a ring around them. His name is Perry Saturn. It's genius naming. I always love when people like Rock Bottom is still a fantastic name because he's the rock and he's doing a rock bottom. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll get to our next bit. Mean Gene does a little hotline shill here, and he's got the giant with him. And I've got to say this, Simon. Remember when we first started doing this uh, this series, the giant was the most abominable like promo he was just awful but he's really stepped up in the past 12 months wouldn't you say oh no no i i've been defending him from the start i like his dodgy yelling promos that he was doing but this one is the other style of giant promo where he's like intense and kind of talking like that it was good one line though i had to rewind it and put on captions i didn't know what he was saying but at one point he said he's going to be blown to the gills. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know what that means. But anyway. I mean, I, I, I want to, I want to battle what you guys just said, because he literally a line he, he said in the promo was I'm more intense now than I've ever been. But he said it literally how I just said it, <laughs> said it so calmly and with no intensity whatsoever. <laughs> I'm like, that's not intense. That is in, intense in, intense is when you go camping and that's intense uh, yeah. <laughs> the you can tell and i've just it just popped in my head then i can see why there is a a direct correlation to the improvement of the big shows promos there is the pre captain insano in the water boy phase <laughs> and the post captain insano <laughs> in the water boy phase and we're in the post phase <laughs> Wait, when was well, the water boy? Was that really that? Like, I thought that was like late nineties, like, like early thousands. Or am I just imagining things? Water boy was that ninety seven? Oh, I'm googling now. I remember watching it in the cinema. It would have been around this time. Yeah. Uh, it was released in ninety eight, so you would imagine they probably filmed it in ninety seven. They yeah, no, okay. November six, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, there okay. you go. There you yeah. go. Uh, well, let's get to our next match here. It's Yuji Nagata versus Ultimo Dragon. And uh, the stipulation here is if Ultimo wins, he gets five minutes alone with Sonny Ono. And you got to say... Well, That's romantic. I'll, 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 yeah, I don't know if dinner has to be bought beforehand. Um, <laughs> if accommodation is provided, we're not sure about the finer details of this. But um, I'll, I'll throw it to you because, you know, you are our Japan mark here. And um, first off, I'm going to ask you, did... Are you constantly surprised at how popular Ultimo Dragon is with the American audience? The, so sorry, I'll, I'll rephrase it. The Southern WCW audience. I, I mean, I, uh, yes, yes, I am the the Japanese guy, the Japanese wrestling guy, as as seen behind me with my collection of Japanese wrestling masks. But um, yeah, I'm so shocked at how over here because the first show I saw him on would have been Hog Wild. Mm-hmm. Question mark 1996, yeah, back in 96, yeah, where he was when ultimate he got, dragon when he was ultimate dragon, and then when he got USA chanted out of the building. Mm-hmm. Like, so the fact that in like a year and a half, just yeah, in like a year and a bit, we've transitioned to him being probably one of like the top five faces of the company right now, I think I'd say mega pops whenever he walks out although this this match did hit quite a lull the crowd went really into it at one stage but when he hit his comeback the crowd were all about it and i was on board um also did you guys notice that um yuji nagata did the gold gloves before roman reigns did yeah there you go <laughs> there you go roman reigns has those those golden gloves he's wearing at the moment but you uh but the uh blue justice had it before he did 
Both men were very gold in this match. Ultimo was very wearing gold. gold. Yuji Nagata had gold. I think gold was, gold was gold. color of the pay per view. <laughs> yeah, it was very yellow. Because, mustard because Eddie, because Eddie wore Eddie wore gold as well in his match against Ray. Hmm. Hmm. This is you are right though, Owen. Like this was, I I got to say, like, and no disrespect to Yuji Nagata, but it does sound like this. But Ultimo Dragon is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in this match. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, I, I do like that um, when they do get like a, a Japanese guest star in to take on the Ultimo Dragon and to get involved in the Sonny Ono feud, uh, there's always shenanigans at the end because, like, at the end of the day, Sonny Ono is a dodgy uh, manager so, and a heel. So it, it was a very awkward ending, though. And I reckon that's one of the sloppiest pins I've ever seen uh, by Yuji Nagata, though. Terrible ending to this match. Oh. The worst. So Ultimo goes for like a back suplex and he was going to get Yuji Nagata to hit Sonny Ono who was on the apron and then it was meant to like fall over and Yuji would fall on him. They just stuffed the whole thing up. And also the ref counted to four. Mm. <laughs> did anyone notice he that? Did. He did. I gave thought that was slap. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of botches, did you guys notice when the, uh, when the telecast cut out because the camera guy fell over? Yeah. <laughs> like he went full arsed over tea kettle and then <laughs> the telecast cut out because he's obviously pulled his um his cable from his camera and it's just completely just ruined the telecast it was for like three seconds too mm. we, we often we mentioned that october uh slash november seems to be a very bad month for cameramen in both wwe and wcw but in this case you can't blame Shawn Michaels or a wrestler running into them. <laughs> and this was purely his own fault here. Yeah. Uh, we get to we get to our next match, which is a tag team championship match. It is Stephen Regal and David Taylor versus the Steiners. And uh, we, we like to we like to sort of go on the progress report of Scott Steiner to Big Popper Pump. He's basically Big Popper Pump. He's ninety nine point nine percent. He just needs the hair done. That's about it, really. But um, I do got to say. This is quite cool because um, Mike Tanay, and I know you're probably going to hate me for saying this, Simon, but he does a good job in giving the Steiners some credit running through their entire resume of uh, tag belts. Yeah, he did. That was kind of cool. And he mentioned they've been world champions, uh, you know, basically everywhere. And they're the most successful tag team of the 90s. I think that's kind of taking a shot at uh, the Legion of Doom, who are in the WWE at this point, who had the claim in the 80s. They had won every title. So that was, yeah, a little bit of that. I also love how they never mention the WWE. They say, mm. oh, and they're two-time champions in a rival promotion. Um, yeah. But yeah. Also, Scott Steiner, you're right, 99.9%. He was stupidly huge in this match. Bigger yeah. than we've seen before. So yeah, he's about to pump. Now, ever since we've mentioned it, like what, maybe probably four or five, maybe even six shows ago, Hmm. I can't take my eyes off the Steiner's feet. I can only see the multicolored boots now, Simon. I've never <laughs> noticed it as a kid. I've watched these guys for like 30 years. Now I know they have mismatched boots. Um, it's, well, it's, what it's one of the strange little... Because uh, it, it, there's no real rhyme nor reason because their gear and everything else matches. Yeah. But see, because they have the opposite feet though. Yeah, so but like Scott wears the white, the white right, and the black left, and Rick wears the opposite. So they they're obviously just the same shoe size, and they just got two pair yeah. of boots. That's pretty cool that they're the same shoe size, though. 
You're not well, always going to be the same size as your brother, so it's good that they can share. Or maybe yeah. they're just big aficionados for three-legged races. And <laughs> this is, this <laughs> um, back to your point, Nims, about Mike Tanay doing his homework. Um, he he spat out an absolutely like mind-blowing stat, which actually really got me. Um, he said Stephen Regal wrestled in twenty-four has wrestled in twenty-four countries in thirteen years, more than any active wrestler on the WCW roster at that time of November nineteen ninety-seven. Look, it's a good little segue because I got to say, um, and this this is going to show how much Stephen Regal slash William Regal has turned his life around because Regal was not in the best shape here, was he? Not Maybe not in the best shape, but I always forget how big Regal is. Then you see him next to the Steiners and he towers over them. He's a mm. large, large man. He towers over me because we've like, you know, been... No, I, I haven't met him, but been close to him. He's probably at least like close to six five, I reckon. He's mm. it, it, it's 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 it, with people that are in the. It's kind of like if you ever watched um, Lucha Underground. I remember Chavo Guerrero looked massive in Lucha Underground, <laughs> and then when you see him, you know, standing next to Kurt Angle, not so much. Um, but uh, look, speaking of this match though, Regal, as I said, he's he. Doesn't exactly look match fit, but he's still very good. But so this good. match is this match is all the Steiners here. It is just complete Steiners, and it's it's basically it's not a squash match per se, but it very much is just a showcase for the Steiner brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a spot in the match, so it was the it was you know your typical um yeah leapfrog drop down spot. Rick Rick Steiner trips over Dave Taylor. Falls into the ropes, but still bounce, then still runs the ropes perfectly to hit the perfect running power slam. That's how good Rick Steiner was. Mm. Tripping over somebody, like obviously tripping over, it fell into the ropes and made a perfect power slam out of it. What it, a guy. It almost looked better because of that. It felt natural. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I've recovered. You're going to jump and I've caught you and killed you. Mm. I've got to say though, like, I think this kind of was a squash match because they were in um, in Michigan, the Steiners' home state. It was just a showcase for them to kill a couple of guys, and that's what yeah. it was. And and Regal still had enough good credit to like that he wasn't a complete jobber. Mm. Uh, David Taylor, I don't quite know all of his backstory, but you know there was enough that this was seen as a conceivable threat. Like, and the Steiner eyes got the win, and. Um, I don't think anyone really, you know, uh, has any objection to the to the rest of the match. I mean, it was harmless. It was just it was, a it was a good it was old a fashioned serviceable tag match. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's quickly get to the next little segment. JJ Dillon and Mean Gene. Now, JJ Dillon has given Raven an ultimatum here. You will sign with a contract with WCW, otherwise, we're not gonna let you get into the crowd and do your shenanigans and talk on Nitro, which poses two questions one uh, i like i like uh, the sort of angle here but two what sort of company would let someone that's unemployed not only be plastered all over their tv but on their flagship tv show get front row seats to their pay-per-views and and also take part in their programs it's ridiculous <laughs> well, no maybe they went out of business 
maybe that guy who jumped Seth Rollins on Raw was watching these old shows too. And he thought, oh, okay, <laughs> you just jump in. I'll offer me a contract in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just waiting for Adam Pearce next week on <laughs> Raw to go to come out and give him an ultimatum. <laughs> yeah. You knock it out. I'll give you a contract if you keep doing this. <laughs> um, I must say, in this segment, did you see that Mean Gene pushed his stat, his uh, status and how much money he had? Because they were talking about, um, you guys know what I'm talking about. They were talking about the Raven's flock and Raven. And then Gene goes, he's not the kind of person you see down at the country club. So obviously Gene's pushing a lot. Of, the, the, the hotline is bringing enough money for Gene to pay fees to a country club. Yeah. Gene does that. It's like when in an old, I think it was when the NWO formed where he said, like, I've got a lot of lawyers. I've got, like, he yeah, likes oh, going off. Mm. It's, yeah. it's very much, he's very much the uh, the man in the cafe that is, you know, yelling at someone for telling him to put a mask on kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Raven scenario continues because it's Raven versus Scotty Riggs in a Ravens rules match, which means it's a no DQ. And now this is a fairly, Usual sort of early 90s uh, hardcore match, but not quite up to the WCW hardcore match standards here, um, you know, with the choking with camera cords, all that sort of jazz. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, I could be a bit harsh here, but it's felt like a bit of a stop down. Everyone, everything really cooled down at this match, don't you reckon? Or is that just me? No, I thought the show hit a brick wall here. Um, I, I like Raven. Raven's good. The story's good. Scotty Riggs, we saw him have a couple of decent matches with Buff Bagwell months ago, but Riggs hasn't done anything since. And now he's got an eye patch because he took, you know, the Raven drop toe hold into a chair. So that was the story. They told us this was going to be a hardcore match or street fight or whatever. They really didn't do much. This was kind of like if Saturn and Disco was good because they sort of, you know, kept it sort of, minimal and stuck to the basics this was basic in a bad way this just wasn't good there was one funny part though when raven was entering the ring he was walking and his mouth was closed but there was a voice speaking i thought it was raven and it was like a dubbed over (laughs) voice thing but then they're like who's talking they're like it's kidman so yeah we heard kidman talk for the first time on a show and he sounded like raven I love emo face Billy Kidman. It's my favorite thing in professional wrestling. Yeah. Emo face and Lego hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But do you reckon they called him Scott? Do you reckon his name was Scotty Riggs because of the rig he had? Because, oh my God, the man was jacked. Oh, he looked amazing. Can't He looked a million there. bucks. Yeah. Like, my God. Well, that's why him and Buff were the American males. They were basically a male stripper gimmick because look at them, you know? I didn't realize they were tag champs. Yeah, well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> also, I mean, Scotty Riggs claims this eye injury was a shoot. I didn't know that. I thought it was just a storyline. Really? There you go. Mm-hmm. I did not know that either. But yeah. um, on, on the topic of just, just taking it back a little bit to the American males, because <laughs> please, you, you want to talk you want to talk about uh, someone getting absolutely Marty Jannetty um, <laughs> at the split of a, of a tag team. I mean, Buff Bagwell just went straight to like he didn't quite reach the highs of Shawn Michaels, but Buff had a very, very decent WCW career, man. He was a US champion. He was he was one of the most popular dudes in WCW. Meanwhile, Riggs. Once he sort of ditched the the brick wall sort of look, that's about it for him. Yeah. Well, we see him, you know, we sort of see where this match goes at the end after he loses Raven's flock walk out with him. Nothing <laughs> ever comes of it except him just hanging around and 
he wore an eye patch and that was about it. He would go to ECW and although here's a good footnote in history, he was the first ever person to take the Van Terminator. So there's that. There you go. Yeah. Did not know that. Mm. Well, that's it's like the so he's he's essentially the most famous things that he that he's done. He's the first person to take someone else's move, mm. and he is the he's basically the other guy from Wham. When you talk about uh, George, um, George Michael <laughs> being Buff Bagwell, but um, <laughs> hey, that that other guy, um, Andrew, what's his name? He Andrew still gets all Rigby, I think. Yeah, he still gets all the royalties from all the from all the um songs though. So. That guy hasn't had to work a day for the rest of his life and is still like a multimillionaire. So so maybe with each... Especially around Christmas time. That guy's rolling in it. So anytime someone decides to play American Males, American Males, American Males on YouTube, maybe, maybe (laughs) somewhere, uh, Scotty Riggs is smiling just a little bit. But But uh, I I tell you what, um, if this is why I might be voting for... Bobby the Brain Heenan as my MVP for this show because the lines he was spewing out in this match were absolutely on fire. Um, From top, he goes, I'd move the patch to his good eye if I was Raven. And then you go, I'd like to pull that that eye patch back and snap it against his face. Um, And then Shivani retorts, you're not a good man. And that popped me really, really good. But the best one was when he goes, I... um, because Raven did like a sidewalk slam or something onto um Riggs, and he <laughs> and Brain goes, I guess that was on his on his blind side and started giggling. Shivani just goes, That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> um but oh yeah, and then he goes, That's not that's not the only Raven you see. Oh yeah, that's not the only um, Raven you see on his knee on his knees. That man is Stark Raven mad, and he started laughing at his own joke. And I'm like, Heenan is the king. But um, speaking of very strange, funny things, um, on the hard cam side, this person changed their sign a lot throughout the the the, the pay per view. But every time, so, like like a big move happened, there was a person sitting on the hard cam sign, and they threw up a um a sign just within the bottom of the frame that said, ouch. Oh, that's good. I didn't notice that. <laughs> that's very, very good. Um, yeah, as we as we mentioned, Raven gets the win. Three even fly DDTs, gets the job done, and then they sort of haul out Scotty Riggs to... Wait, were they called even flow as in like the Pearl Jam song? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. <laughs> Raven was a king when it comes to, uh, you know, those little... Um, little Easter eggs like that. Uh, but um, yeah, so three even flows get the, get the win there. They haul out rigs. And I think the next time we see him, he's part of the flock. Is it Simon? Yeah. Or is there one more blow off? Um, I'm guessing that's it. And he Man. becomes one of the sort of regulars of the flock that we would see. Mm. Because uh, we, we also get- saw the debut of uh, Lodi in the um, flock here as well. Yeah, the flock slash Ness slash Ravens Misfits. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the hell they decide to call him. Obviously, they were the flock when they went through all the trademarks. Uh, when do the Misfits join? It's soon, yeah. Like nah. the actual uh, Misfits? 99. Yeah. Oh, man. I saw two years ago. Because <laughs> they still, because they come in sort of with Vampiro. Um, I want to see Doyle in his cage match. Where Vampiro sort of goes through a weird, he turns into a juggalo, then he turns into a. Um, yeah, that's a complete. 
that's something to look forward to down the road there, Simon. But um, we'll get to our next match, which is Steve McMichael versus Goldberg, or is it? Goldberg's music hits, and he's been taken out by Mongo, and boy, oh boy, does Steve Mongo McMichael look very pleased with himself that he's managed to do a backstage attack. I was very angry at Mongo here. I thought, okay, the show struggled with that last match. We're going to get Goldberg at least. He'll save a Mongo segment. And then nah, he had to take out Goldberg with a pipe. So Deborah gets a sub in for Goldberg. And it's none other than Alex Wright again. So again, God, I can't wait for Deborah to leave to WWE just so this finally ends. Like I thought Jarrett leaving was the end of it. But my God, can we please just do something else with Mongo? You've got to say that it was entertaining. Watch her drag Alex Wright out against his will, and then one of my one of my favorite things um, when he gets thrown out of the ring a little bit later, you could audibly hear Deborah go, "Come on, Alex, get back in there." Yeah, look, Deborah was a great performer. I think she's been pretty entertaining. It's just we need you to don't see need to something see, yeah. else. And also, I still don't understand: Are we meant to like Deborah? Or are we meant to like Mongo? Because neither of them feel like like the good guy in this this Mm. divorce. It's like, if they were one of your friends and they called you to tell you about their partner, you'd be like, man, I don't care about either of you anymore. Like, Yeah, yeah. You'd always have something on the board. Like, oh, look, I've I've really got to go now. (laughs) But um, uh, do do you want to even call this a match? Because it wasn't really, was it? Well, my my first note of like after they introduce Alex Wright is, do I really have to go through this again? Because <laughs> yeah. we had to sit through this crap last month, and it was a struggle then, and I think it was worse now. Um, although I must say, going back to the start of the match when when Mongo was um cutting that really terrible promo, he used two of the most generic catchphrases of all time. He goes. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I'm not the only dog that can learn new tricks. <laughs> Literally mm. back to back, he used the two oldest like catchphrases ever. But that's what's fun about Mongo. He's just like wanted to get into wrestling and he's just the cheesiest guy ever. <laughs> like I only want him to talk in cliches, but yeah, this it, wasn't good. It's no, very... It's- it's very nothing. And going back to your point, Owen, of, oh, man, we have to watch this again. WCW, for some reason, had a real eat your vegetables when it comes to bad matches. <laughs> like, they, they were just like, look, just you can, like, look, you'll end up liking it. Trust me. We'll just try it one more time. No, no, we don't want any damn Alex Wright and Steve McMichael. Yeah, this was the Brussels sprouts of WCW. <laughs> um, I must say, though, Alex Wright tried to take like a Bret Hart style front turnbuckle and mm. just killed himself. <laughs> like, because he got it like a right, and you could hear him go, <gasps> and like really tried to like go there. You know, sadly for Alex Wright, this is the peak of his career because later on, he obviously becomes Berlin. And brings in the wall, and then the wall ends up being more popular than he is, and then he has to team with uh, with Disco Inferno as the Boogie Knights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get to our next little segment, which is Perry Satin at the WCW Online booth thing. I got to say, I I had a massive pop. We we mentioned Owen oh, how we talk about you know real player and all that sort of stuff. Listen to listening to Tony Schiavone talk about browser plugins just really really <laughs> gave me a good feeling inside. <laughs> I mean, coming from the man who who owns every Sega, I'm surprised <laughs> you don't have a CRT TV to play your Sega um 
your secret products do. Look, I tell you right now, if if CRTs weren't so goddamn heavy and clunky, I'd be having one. But uh, this this is what a very very amusing little segment here. It's it's you could tell that they're all in with uh, the WCW online part, can't you, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. They push this way more than the WWE pushes their website at the same point of time. The thing that I found weird, though, was putting Saturn on the website. He's meant to be part of this sort of, you know, underground sort of junky group who's like, we don't play by the rules and we're not even part of this promotion. And then Saturn has to do the interview. It's really weird. It would be like if in, you know, if The Undertaker was on the hotline or whatever talking about demons and souls. It just feels out of place. Very much so. Very, very much so. Um, we get to our next match, which is uh, Halloween. It's a Halloween Havoc rematch. Uh, I talk about how WCW like to, you know, you know, delve back into the eat your vegetables. This is one bit of food that I wouldn't mind eating again. And um, yep. it's Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio following up uh, the Halloween Havoc match. Now I've the first note that I put is it's a good match, but not as good as their Halloween Havoc match. Eddie once again plays the antagonist here. He is, you forget that how, like, because he's so loved now. Like, let's face it, there is no one that bad mounts Eddie Guerrero now. And for good reason. We even saw in the most recent AEW pay-per-view that we all sat and watched together, how many little call callbacks to and little tributes to Eddie. He's very much a beloved figure. But here you just hate him. You absolutely hate him, and you forget how good of a heel he was. He plays that smarmy prick of a heel really well, doesn't he? Like mm. he, you, you just really want to just, you just want to punch him in the face. He's such an arrogant little, you know what? Yeah. So and so, yeah. Mm. <laughs> like just really, I, I've always loved his heel work, but I actually think I've written here like this is kind of peak Eddie. Do you reckon? I think we may have talked about it last week. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's and weird Simon, to he, say that because, like, his po, like his WWE run is so good. This is the part that, that everyone sort of kind of forgets too, because Simon and you might be able to help me out with the timeline here. It's about two years later that he's in that car in the motorcycle accident. I always forget if it's ninety eight or ninety nine, but yeah, he kind of goes away for a little bit, comes back, um, but yeah, this run leading into that, this is. If you want, you could say this is one of the Eddie Guerrero peaks. That's the thing with his career. He's had mm. so many peaks and valleys, but yeah, you can take your pick on your favorite Eddie Guerrero and you'd be correct with all of them. He's so good here. <laughs> yeah, because Filthy Animals Eddie Guerrero isn't because qu- he, he can't really rely on their ring work because he's still recovering from uh, the accident. But then when you go to w- uh, WWE, you know, he, he <laughs> straight out the gates, he gets injured. But they keep him on TV. So it, you're right. When he has highs, it's fantastic. When he has lows, they are just absolutely devastating. But I, I'm going to say something fairly controversial here. This match would be rated more highly if we didn't have a much better one at Halloween Havoc. Um, yeah, thank you, Owen. Yes. Well, see, I, I've written something similar. I've written. I like that they didn't that 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 they didn't just recreate last month's match. It was totally different. But I do agree because this match was so good, but it didn't live up to last month. Mm. Yeah, it never could, especially when they kept telling us how the match last month was, you know, maybe the greatest title match in WCW history. This couldn't live up to it. And I always remembered this match as not being as good. 
and unfortunately to me it lived up to that expectation it was mm. fine it's Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero on their worst day it's going to be good like it was still good lots of highlights but you remember their best matches and for yeah. them this isn't in the top five or whatever yeah you know? yeah it's it's the best way I can sort of put it if anyone wants a, a nice little like I don't know a leveler Everyone remembers Rock versus Hogan at WrestleMania 18. Not a lot of people remember oh, Rock no. versus Hogan at No Way Out no, 2003. It's not that much of a drop off. That's one <laughs> no. of the worst like rematches <laughs> of a classic ever. I will say though, the crowd was super into it though. They at least mm. got the crowd back into the show. Oh, I guess what about the, that finish? I, yes. Sorry, well, you I, was got, gonna, you... I was gonna say, like, I guess the better way to put it is like the twice in a lifetime. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, about that. Yeah, that'd like, be better. Because mm. once, because Cena and Rock number one was like perfect, mm. and the second one was like again really good. But if the first one didn't happen; it'd be incredible. Mm. Yeah, you're like we don't we don't need it again. You got it yeah. right the first time; it's fine. <laughs> but yes, Nims, the finish was the best. Yeah, I, I don't know, like just the fact that even Tony Schiavone thinks that he's won too, because it, that was one thing that WCW did a lot better than WWE treated it like a sport because going and listening to 83 weeks, I don't know if you boys have done this, but like they, they legitimately, most of the commentators didn't know what the finishes were. So they would yeah. react naturally. Um, and this really did feel organic. And I don't know. I just thought this was, it was just really, really good. Mm. Yeah, it was a, a fake-out ending. I feel like WCW does this on almost every pay-per-view, though, where it's like, he's got the ropes. Uh, it's like, oh, no, he doesn't. It was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and then Eddie, though, like Eddie hits. I know people say, oh, RVD's got the best frog splash or, you know, even D'Lo Brown because of sort of the how fancy he makes it. But no one's hmm. frog splash looks like it hurts as much as Eddie's. Somehow yeah. he gets extra force when he lands on them. And Tony Schiavone made a point here in this match that sort of like really stuck out where he said, Eddie Guerrero is kind of underrated for his suplexes. He's known as a high flyer, but look at his suplexes. And that's across the board with Eddie. Every move yeah. he does looks like it kills you. He hits yeah. a, a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker on Ray on the outside. Literally looked like it murdered him. It looks like he ripped his spine like out of his coccyx and like yeah. from his the, the base of his skull it's just like he's like a finisher out of Mortal Kombat yeah, Mortal Kombat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also hits I'd a German suplex and Ray lands basically on his head like it was yeah. insane and he's the he's just I think we can just all agree that he's the best yeah. um, I just want to I just want to I just want to like reverse back to the start of the match though hmm. um to the entrances purely for the fact that there is a sign on the entrance way that I actually did a spit take for because the sign reads, because it was in neon green paper, so you can't miss it. The sign read, Hogan thumps children. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> did you not see that? No. <laughs> there was also one that said, um, Hogan fudge packs Bischoff. So yeah. it was a very, very edgy 1997 crowd. But, I, 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 like, I do. I reckon in our defense time, we, we were seeing that constantly. Like every single crowd was such and such is gay or <laughs> someone would do this in 19. In, in that era, it was basically that laser, laser pens and, um, and essentially, you know, homophobic jokes were the big yeah. thing of the day. So 
Or the, uh, maybe or that just... one guy that bought the sign that says "I can't see." <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> the classic. While we are talking signs, I think one of the greatest signs I've ever seen on Monday Night Raw is "Rock Fears Paper." <laughs> That's good. Wow. <laughs> um, as we, as we move on um, to the next little segment, oh, it is a. Oh. I'm so sorry, Nims. I'm so yep. sorry. I, feel, I I hate doing this to you. But who's the ring announcer again? I always forget his name. David Penza. Did you hear the way he pronounced Eddie Guerrero's name when he won the match? And the winner of this match, Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> he really, really poo the bed on that one. <laughs> like, it was so... I, I actually, like, I've re-round it like three times going, did I hear that right? Yeah, WCW, they, they didn't really do the finer details too well there. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, going by what they do right, I mean, we see a little promo next for Starcade 1997, Sting oh. versus Hogan. This is their money match. This thing is has been building since Sting. Sting hasn't wrestled in a year, by the way. He's got, this is an awesome vignette. We see, this is the perfect storyline. And when we get to Starcade 97, and we see how it all ended out. Like, can you remember this promo when it first aired, Simon? Like, the buzz for this match was like, this was going to be the greatest thing in wrestling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, look, we've crapped on WCW's video pr- production quite a bit. This is the best one they've ever done. This is, like, the hmm. only good WCW uh, video package. It's obviously based on, you know, the Crow film. It's got a similar look yeah. and similar vibe. He's out in a it building. Has, it even has the shot of him when he's, like, crouched on the balcony in the pouring rain. Yeah, mm. they might as well have just basically used the trailer for The Crow. But The Crow was, like, my favourite movie as a kid, so this, you know, really got to me. This was really cool. This was... Uh, uh, all I've written in, in, like, Ultimate Caps Lock is what a sick promo. Yeah. This yeah. promo was so good. Like, it, I think almost might make up for every bad WCW promo video we've ever had because of how good this video was. Like when it zoomed in on Sting's eye into another Sting. Mm. <laughs> it was wait, so good. Wait until we get to the pay-per-view. Then they oh, undo Oh, I know what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we've still got the anticipation there for Starcade 97 yeah. as we get to our next match, which is Kurt Hennig versus Ric Flair. Now, just to quickly recap, Hennig comes in to WCW as DDP's mystery partner. He then turns on DDP. He then joins the Horseman. He turns on the Horseman and then joins the NWO. And here we are. It's a no DQ match. And there is a very cool little... I, I think this is one of the smartest no DQ matches I've ever seen because both of these guys, they're old school guys and they know how to wrestle and they sort of complement each other pretty well. Do you find it funny too, Simon, like going back to you, how they never mentioned the WWF, they're, they're really adamant to, to prove that these guys have like such a blood history somewhere. Yeah, somewhere else they wrestled and it led to something at some point in time. <laughs> it's weird because WWE gets the rep for at the time, you know, they wouldn't really mention WCW and they wouldn't talk about anyone's history. And, you know, that to be dragged kicking and screaming to even mention that mankind was Mick Foley. But WCW mm. was guilty of it too. They tiptoe around this other promotion so much. Yeah. And yeah, it's a good example of it. Speaking of tiptoeing, it's good to see that Bobby the Brain Heenan is just finally owning up to the fact that he knows who Kurt Hennig is. Yeah. 
<laughs> There's no well, tip tone around it anymore. Well, maybe he never knew his actual shoot name. He always just thought, <laughs> well, no, I know Mr. Perfect. You look a lot like him. Yeah. But uh, Kurt, Are was you it? brothers? Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a cool little bit where, that I really enjoyed where Kurt Hedding actually, to avoid getting pinned, uh, pokes the ref in the eye. Oh, yep. so good. <laughs> And the commentators were debating whether or not that's legal in a no DQ match. Of course it is. <laughs> Poke the ref in the eye. It was good. Also, and I don't care what anyone says. Like this, this, like Ric Flair, you can say what you will about him, but no one sells an injury. You know, like, oh God, like, like Ric Flair does. Yeah. Good selling in this one. It wasn't like, I don't know, maybe because they said it was no DQ, I was expecting it to you know, look like one of the crappy, nasty boys and public enemy type WCW hardcore matches we've seen. It was very tame. And that just kind of kind of shocked me. I mm. thought it did, honestly. I thought this did drag. Honestly, I haven't been time... feeling Hennig at all in WCW. Yeah, see, I'm a, I'm a big perfect guy and I can agree with you. Like the official runtime for this match is 17 and a half minutes. Oh, wow. I reckon it went about four minutes too long. <laughs> um, so... Did you? So they also brought into the crowd at the start of the match. Hmm. Seven years later, at the exact same venue, there was a big brawl in the crowd at a Pistons and Pacers game, the Malice in the Palace, for all you NBA fans out there. Wow, this was the original Malice in the Palace. This, there you go. This was the original Malice in the... That's where Ben Wallace got the idea from. <laughs> there you go. Maybe maybe Rick Flair can now redeem himself by changing his name to Meta World Peace <laughs> at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kurt Hennig gets the win here. And uh, just going back on Kurt Hennig's WCW run, though, it's not until the West Texas Rednecks where he sort of, I don't know, finally finds his footing because he's, his WCW run is very meh. And all it is is him turning on people. It's like, just a remember, background he- guy in the NWO <laughs> for most of it. And doesn't hold, I don't want to spoil it. Doesn't he join the Wolfpack and turn on them as well? Turn or on something? the Wolfpack. Oh, yeah. So he what does the exact same me- thing. Is that he's not perfect. He's unreliable. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust him. Real um, quick, the yep. main spot of this match blew my mind. Because I actually wrote a note going, this match is, I'm like, I get the story, but this match is dragging heaps. Then literally, I put pen off paper, and that's when Flair opens the chair up, Atomic yeah. drops. Oh, yes. Henning onto the, the onto the back of the chair, then kicks the chair shut and traps Henning's like leg in the chair. I'm like, perfect. How has no one done that since? Yeah, he mm. did it to him twice. It's hard to explain. I think that is a spot worth looking up because yeah, he basically like bear traps his leg while standing yeah. and kicks it. It is awesome and someone it's should amazing. feel that. It's amazing. Yeah. And the crowd went wild for it. It's so good. It's one of those ones. It's like the when when they did that to with the Pilmanizing um, sort of spot where everyone does the Pilman one. No one does this one, oh, yeah, which is strange because because this one looks a lot safer than when you, when when they try to smash an ankle like Brian Pilman. Might be one of those weird things where this actually hurts a lot, whereas that doesn't in real life. Yeah. Maybe it's you know. This is true. This is true. But Actually, uh, let's. I did, I did watch the um the Dark Star of the Ring Pilman episode the other day. And uh, Austin went into detail about how he did it, and now he didn't really want to do it because because Pilman's ankle was still like cooked from mm. the from like the accident. Yeah. So like, yeah, look into that, wrestling fans. That's also Pilman, very good. 
Yeah, uh, that, that's Pillman is another chapter in itself. But uh, look, we yeah. finally get to our main event, and Michael oh. Buffer very, very <laughs> carefully is reading the rules of World War Three. We've we've often said Simon that he really like has a throwaway, gives absolute zero f's when it comes to the main event. But this one, he was very, very careful with the reading of the rules. Yeah, he he. There was a point where the look on his face when he was going to like the fourth cue card where he was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm saying. And this- <laughs> like there was a slight bit of panic and there's never any expression on Buffer's face. He was so emotionless until that panic kicked in. Yeah. He didn't know. He was like, am I on the same match? Like how many rules are there? Is this the cage match from two shows ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but that noise I made was literally the noise I made. Like, just then when Nims was talking about the match was literally the noise I made when Bruce but when um when Michael Buffer was like 60 wrestlers. I was like, oh I yeah. forgot. Because we get out, we it, it's a real, you know, cavalcade of jobbers that come out first, led out by DDP. It's like DDP and you know, just random. It, it's basically, you know, in Drummer Simon in WCW NWR Revenge how you had those like those Japanese wrestlers that Aki would sneak in their disguises, like, you know, the executioner and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. That's basically what happened here, especially when Villano 4 and Villano 5 both walked out and you've got Cyclope and the Renegade. It was just a cavalcade of jobbers. The NWO come out to their own music, though, and my favourite thing of the entire thing was the... The sign in the crowd, you're a failure to Detroit, Kevin Nash. Yeah, Aww. I've got that note down as well. <laughs> that really hits hard, doesn't it? Look, the NWO coming out, there was kind of a nice thing. I had to Google it to get the reference. But they were um, walking out with the Six t-shirt. Yeah. Um, and Scott Hall six was- Six is injured, isn't he? Yeah, Scott Hall was wearing the Six shirt as well. So Six was injured here. And I wanted to make sure the time timeline was right. We won't see Six again. He's injured here, and this is where Eric Bischoff fires him by FedEx. And depending on who you ask, it was kind of sort of revenge or to keep Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in line to say that, you know, you don't have all the power here. I'll fire your friend if I want. Mm. Oh, and and that's when he goes to, I mean, look, the career move is not bad because then he goes and joins D-Generation X. Yeah, he, he recovers from injury and he joins DX the night after WrestleMania. And I think sometimes we forget, but yeah, X-Pac was like the first guy to jump back from WCW. And got the biggest pop too. It was like Hogan returned when yeah. Six came back. We're because really remember- seeing the, the chart turn. We've seen so many of WWE's turning points in a positive way. We're starting to see the WCW ones in the opposite direction now. And this is one yeah. of them. It is it is rather crazy too because um, the the line that always stands out when uh, X Park comes out and debuts as X Park uh, and joins DX is JR's. Well, look who's back! <laughs> I thought you were going to say where um, where X Park tells Bischoff to put that in his pipe and smoke it. That's <laughs> right. He's got and a real th- yeah. He's got a real chip in his shoulder here. Yeah, yeah. A lot of cheesy lines in that promo, but it's an all-time classic. So let's get straight into this match. And I don't know where you want to start because the split screen is back. And I don't know about you, but there is, quote unquote, a mass of humanity. You can't see anything. Uh, You can see the giant eliminating eliminating people left, right, and center. Pretty much Uh, everybody. Oh, And one thing that did stand out to me that I thought was hilarious was Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking out Vincent. That was just a highlight for me. But there is too many men 
too much going on to keep track of what's going on. Everything is tiny. It's just an absolute cluster. And uh, look, the giant in ring three seems to be the only thing that you could actually focus on. Um, yeah, I've got a note down here saying I'd watch half an hour of, of Jim Duggan going, ho oh! over a World War Three match any day of the week. <laughs> that was the only thing the crowd was reacting to for the first yeah. like 20 minutes of this match or whatever. This was hard to watch. We mentioned it last year. With the yeah. three screens, it's like watching three battle royals on three Zoom calls. It's just stupid. <laughs> Maybe it would work in the modern era. I was thinking, like, could you get the technology where, you know, with your remote, you get to choose which ring you want to watch? Then well, they can book with- three separate battle royals with different spots, and you've got to watch it three times to see everything. I don't know, but this wasn't good. But even in HD, I reckon it'd work a lot better because you can't see anything. You literally can't see it. It is a massive humanity there, yeah. And um, I- they do they do little cutaways, which is nice. But there's like every cutaway just seems like just to remind you. Oh, look, we'll, we'll give you a bit of a chop out and actually let you watch the match a little bit. But nothing happens because there's too many rings. Yeah. There's too many As- people. Aside from the finish, the only memorable thing in this match for me was when. Uh, was when Rey Mysterio eliminates Eddie Guerrero. Hmm. And on commentary, Mike Tanay goes, Rey Mysterio just eliminated someone from ring six. <laughs> ring six. Mm. Ring mm. six. Mm. If there were six rings, I'd leave. I would not be doing this podcast right now because I'd quit. Did you also find it amusing too that when it gets down to the end and it's like ring one has all the NWO and and the Giants in Ring 3. I love how the PA is like, please proceed to Ring 2 <laughs> yeah. to continue. <laughs> like it's a Jetstar flight. for QA127 <laughs> to Sydney, please go to your gate now. I what think, kind of, yeah. I was going to say, there's no point trying to break down the match. We should just no. get to the end. That's where it picks up. So the NWO have taken over a ring. None of them are eliminated. And then we have like an all-star team from WCW. And it's a good... Lineup yeah. at the end because so, it's Booker T, Lex Luger, Rick Steiner, the Giant, and DDP. Now, this is one thing I want to ask really quickly. Booker being alone, was this when they started to push him as a singles guy? Oh, hell no. We're still really? years away from that. Because <laughs> Stevie was gone a lot, like really quick into the match. There's a point where Stevie Ray gets injured and Booker gets a run at like the TV title. Yeah, he does yeah. the best of seven match. Yeah, I best think of seven with Benoit. We're a while away from him really being, you know, US champ and really moving up, though, I think. Okay. Because let because let's put into context here too. Stevie Ray then joins the NWO as well. That's oh, what yes. we need when Stevie yeah. goes to the NWO and Booker can be left alone to do his thing. Yeah. Um the the phrase slapjack is said a lot by Stevie oh, yeah. Ray when he joins the NWO. Should point that out too. But yeah, so there is a massive pop when WCW guys get to ring number one. We then get to the final four, which is Hall, Macho Man, DDP, and the Giant. And it's just it's really good because like there's there's a bit of teamwork on WCW side. And Hall does the the chicken S, you know what, scamper of the other ring and does the the fake out like, and you think it's going to be Kevin Nash entering, but it's actually Hogan coming out as number sixty with a killer tan. I should point out. Oh, <laughs> he was a little handbag. Hogan looked amazing. He was in great shape here too. The crowd 
popped like crazy. And what was funny about it, they were like, it's the man who's number 60. This isn't the Royal Rumble. You can't no. wait till the end because by this logic, they counted it as legal. Why would you enter with the parade of idiots at the start? Wouldn't you just wait and be like, yeah, man, I'm number 60. Thanks. Like, yeah, yeah it was silly. But we then very get exciting, custom- though. We get our customary We Want Sting chant, and lo and behold, here comes Sting, a very tall Sting. <laughs> with streaks of grey hair. <laughs> Yeah, Kevin Nash is dressed up as Sting. And Kevin Nash, when he cosplays, is one of my favorite things because he, he hams it up so much. Kevin Nash's cheeky cheeky little grin when he like when he like like when he took the mask off popped me for like a couple minutes. What was funny about this though, you mentioned Nims how the commentators didn't want to know what was happening and they wanted to react to everything and be logical. They didn't realize this wasn't Sting. You know, seven foot Sting who stepped over the rope to make it really obvious. <laughs> Heenan even know. pointed it out. Yeah. Mm. Well, Heenan, Heenan always wants to be, you know, logical. Uh, look, we we then get to Sting, Kevin Nash, Sting clean cleans out, and uh, Scott Hall wins World War Three. The NWO come into ring to celebrate. Hogan even does a diamond cutter on DDP, and once again, it's another paper where the NWO reigns supreme. As I mentioned. As a child, Scott Hall being my favorite wrestler, I love this pay-per-view. As an adult, I still do love this pay-per-view because of the nostalgia attached to it, but I want to get an unbiased opinion from you boys. So I'll start off with you on, with your fresh eyes. What do you think of this one? My fresh eyes will never be the same again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think Simon said it, said it best. It was good up until it got to the Raven match, and then we hit a wall. And the wall broke our nose, and we can never get the nose in, in a nice straight, um, looking straight again. Because it was a bit, it was a bit dodgy after that. Um, I'd probably give this pay per view overall about a six and a half out of ten. Yeah, I think that's sort of pretty par for the course. What about you, there, Simon? I think this is one of the worst WCW shows we've seen. I really didn't like it, and I will say I watched this as a kid live. We were so excited about this. Me, my brother, and my cousin, you know, we convinced our parents to order this. And we mm. watched it on a Monday after school. And I'll tell you what, we never ordered another WCW pay-per-view <laughs> ever again. I swear. The Tackle family turns on the Turner Network. Yeah, and I love Scott Hall too. Like, he was, you know, our favorite too. And I think what annoys me too, I know where this goes and nothing comes of it. And that's what's that's really true. annoying too. Scott Hall is meant to be the number one contender. You would assume maybe he'll be champ, but yeah. Just as a side say, note. Cat backwards, Scott Hall is the coolest guy. Oh, man. Yeah, I saw that at the end where he put the NWO hat on. Pretty Every cool. time he wears his cap backwards, he looks like the coolest guy ever. You want to talk about, so now, so we mentioned that Scott Hall gets a title shot. Scott Hall does get a title shot at Super Bowl 1998. Hmm. Like, so by then, the entire thing is cooled off. You've got three months that nothing, that he's not even the focal point. All of a sudden, someone remembered when it came around to Super Bowl. Hang on a second. Does Scott Hall, oh, that stipulation of World War Three. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so like you mentioned, Simon, like there is no, at the end of this, there's no sort of. This isn't effect. Royal Rumble winning where you point at the WrestleMania sign and that's yeah. the main story. This barely is a story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think you're pretty spot on there. But um, look, 
Coming up next, it is the meat and potatoes. And um, Owen, you are in for an absolute treat when we cover Starcade 1997. We will do that next on the next edition of Reliving the War. Although for you and me, Simon, we have got In Your House, D-Generation X, Ken Shamrock, main eventing against Shawn Michaels. This one should be interesting. Yeah, can't wait. It's such a weird one. Can't remember anything about this pay-per-view really, so it should be fun. I just remember the big D and X in (laughs) scaffolding at the front. That's about it. But yeah, that is going to be the next edition of Reliving the War. On behalf of Owen Jones and Simon Tackler, I've been Nim Zazor. Remember, if you would like to check out the archives, head to Grey Wolf ENT on all the socials. But we'll catch you next time for Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.